0: Once upon a time, there was a great wind, a mighty life-giving energy that breathed everything into existence, a power that moved along the waters of the deep, the Spirit of God. One day, a group who loved God was praying and meeting, celebrating a Jewish feast with friends and family. Unaware of what was going to happen, heaven was about to pay a visit. A violent wind filled the room where they prayed. Tongues of fire descended, separated, and rested on each of them. The Spirit of God didn't just come near them, the Spirit filled them. And each one began to speak in a foreign language, the many languages of all the people who lived in Jerusalem. All those who passed by marveled at what they saw. How could it be that each one could hear their own native language at the same time? Some claimed it was miraculous, others scoffed and called them drunk. But Peter stepped forward and boldly proclaimed the truth. What the scripture described long ago had now come to pass right before their eyes. I will pour out my spirit, the Lord told his people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Here was the moment. The power of God filled the faithful. The body of Christ rose up, alive and active, equipped and empowered to love God, to love others. The good news continues to be proclaimed everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and the best news is for those who believe the story never ends
1: and that my friends is how it began that is how the church was born. It wasn't a political movement, no. It wasn't a group of smart business folks who got together and got a strategic plan and some metrics along the way, nope. It wasn't a celebrity who decided to launch some new brand to, uh, to kind of build themselves up, nope. This is the Spirit of God coming down in power upon a group of believers who gave themselves to the Lord, who had been disciples of Jesus, and God moved in power in and through them. That day... The power of God took this timid, fearful, pre-Pentecost group of believers and took them and launched them from a place of fear into this stratosphere of God's power and God's movement in the world. God would use them uh, to do amazing things. He would do miracle signs and wonders in their midst and through them. And the world would be changed. The, The folks would realize that this Jesus who they had crucified is truly the Son of God that he is who he says he is, that he's risen from the dead, and, and, and he's alive, and he's powerful. So Peter, Peter goes out that day. The disciples, they're filled with the power of the Spirit, and Peter steps up, and he preaches this sermon. And that day, the church grows from like a little under 200 people to like over 3,000 people. One day, one sermon. That's one heck of a sermon right there, amen? You're like, I wish we had Peter today. I know, I do too, right? But he's busy right now. But but the fact is, it's the same spirit, right? It's the same spirit that filled Peter, that we pray that will fill us, that will empower us, that will inspire us. And Peter comes out and he preaches that this Jesus, who you crucified, no, he's not dead. He's alive. He's here. He's alive. He's moving in power. He's doing miracles, signs, and wonders. He's still healing. He's still forgiving. He's still loving. He's still real. You can crucify him, you can shove him in a grave, but you can't keep him down, you can't. You're like, wait a minute, I thought sermons were supposed to start low and get excited, nope, (laughs) it's Pentecost, man. We are so excited because the power of the Holy Spirit is real. This isn't just a story about a long time ago, this is real here in our midst today. This is the power of God. And I want you to experience it, to encounter it today. I believe so much in this. I challenge you today, go home and read Acts chapter 2. I'm going to share some of Peter's sermon with you today. I can only share a bit of it, but it's awesome and powerful. Go home, read the whole thing. So so as the video showed, the disciples, they're filled with the power of the Spirit. Uh, Tongues of fire come down to send over them. They're speaking in other languages so that everybody can hear the gospel in their own language. And the people, they don't don't know what to do with this. They're like, what's going on? Some of them start mocking, and they're like, I think they're drunk. I'm pretty sure they're drunk. And Peter steps forward with an explanation, Acts 2.14. Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine in the morning is much too early for that. I love his rationale there. It doesn't work that way. No, what you're seeing was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy... Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a powerful word! It's true for us today. There's hope for everyone because Jesus sacrifices for everyone. Not just a select group, it's for everybody. And all who, come, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus gives you a choice. He doesn't force his way into your life. He gives you the choice as to whether or not you're going to accept him or to reject him. Whether or not you're going to walk by this power of the Spirit. or Whether you're going to try to live life on your own natural way. And he calls you to something so much better. Peter cont- continues. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip." That, my friends, is Holy Spirit empowered courage. I mean, think about it. Peter is preaching to the same Jewish leaders who convinced Pilate, Pilate who wanted to release Jesus. They convinced Pilate to have Jesus crucified. Peter is preaching to the same crowd who yelled, "Crucify him!" And he says, "You did it, but God's not done. God's not done. You can't keep. Je- you can crucify him, but you cannot keep Jesus." Down. Who knows? Maybe pre- Peter was even preaching to the Roman soldier who drove the nails into his wrist. These people knew what had happened. They were there. They were part of it. And Peter steps forward with courage. This is a courage that is something so much deeper than just a desire to be heard or to be some kind of influencer. Maybe you're here today and you're like, okay, that's all fine and good for Peter, but I'm not Peter, right? Like, I don't, I don't have a Peter resume kind of thing going on in my life. I'm just simple me. Well, that's not really how Peter's story worked. Today's kind of like, the sermon's a little bit like one of those reverse chronology movies, right, where they give you the ending, and then they show you, like, here's how we got there, right? And so this is like the ending, if you will, this, this day of Pentecost, not that the story was done, but this is the part of Peter's life we highlight Let's look back at his life and see how different it was than that very moment. Just look at how our classic artwork displays Peter's life. Here's Peter walking on the water, right? And by walking, we mean sinking, right? He's sinking down in the water. Now, to his credit, he's the only disciple who had the courage to get his rear end out of the boat, so that's something, right? But, but here he's got Jesus, Son of God, walking on water, and see where his eyes are? They're, they're not on Jesus, they're on the waves. His fear was greater than his faith in the Son of God, even though the Son of God was right there doing a miracle at that moment. That's not a huge amount of faith, right? That's not a huge amount of faith. Or here's Jesus telling Peter, get behind me, Satan. Why? Why? Because Jesus had just revealed how God was going to move, how Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to be crucified, dead, buried, raised from the dead the third day. And Peter basically says, nope, I I, I don't like this dying plan, this crucifixion nonsense. Jesus, we're, we're, we're not doing that. Get behind me, Satan. That's what he says. That's not a great day when you're a disciple of Jesus and he calls you Satan, you know that's Peter. And most famously, here's Peter after he denied Jesus three times in Jesus' moment of greatest need on a night where Jesus had literally predicted you will deny me three times and Peter says, never, Lord. Everybody else can fall away, but not me. Not me. I won't be the one. Three times. Peter's resume wasn't exactly flawless. It wasn't exactly faithful. These are just three examples. There were many times where Peter had stuck his foot in his mouth, where Peter had been less than faithful to Jesus. But that day, he stepped forward because he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he was changed. He was different that same, that, that, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it filled Peter and filled the guy who couldn't, who couldn't take his eyes off the waves when Jesus was there. And yet who can look the people in the eye who sent Jesus to the cross and say, you killed him, but there's hope. There's even hope for you. This same same guy can go out and preach a message. 3,000 people can give their life to Jesus because of the courage, because of the faith. Why? Because the Holy Spirit filled him. The Holy Spirit changed him. Peter was a a disciple of Jesus. And being a disciple is a process, right? We see it in Peter's life, lived out, that there was times of struggle and stumble, and there was times of great faith and faithfulness. And, And we're in this new message series, it's called Multiply, and we're looking at what does it mean to be a disciple, and, and how can we make disciples, right? Because first, got to be a disciple if you want to make a disciple. It just makes sense. But, but how does this work out? Well, what's it mean to be a disciple? In Jesus' day, it was actually a very common thing. First, a disciple is a learner who studies the teacher. See, their system of education was much different than ours. In those days, Jewish teachers, they were known as rabbis, and rabbis, if you wanted to be a rabbi, what you would do is you would find another rabbi who you respected, who was effective, and you would ask to become uh, that rabbi's disciple. And so you would follow the rabbi around. You would listen to the teaching. You would study the teachings of this rabbi, and, and you, would, you would imitate them. Like, we have lots and lots of literature about this. There was uh, disciples of rabbis, they would watch how the rabbi would wash his hands. And they'd wash their hands like the rabbi would wash his hands, right? There's disciples who uh, would, uh, they, they would study how many steps will the rabbi take on the Sabbath? Where's that line? And they do that. They watch how the rabbi teaches, and they hear his teachings over and over and over, so they, they, they learn them, and they can, they can communicate those teachings someday to other people. There was all sorts of ways. They, I mean, if anything, that's a little awkward, right? If you imagine being the rabbi, and you've got these group of people that they follow you around, and they're doing everything you're doing, like, oh, my gosh, like, this is a little much. But that's how they did school. That's how they did education, It wasn't like they went to seminary and they read lots of books and wrote lots of papers, lots of papers, to to, to learn things. Like, that's okay, but but they learned in this more incarnational way. And so, so this is how they became disciples. They are a learner who studies the teacher. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to study his life and his teachings. That's what we do. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, it, it begins there with studying his life and his teachings. We do this here in Disciple Bible Study. We, we highlighted, did we highlight that earlier in the service, I think? Did we talk about disciple earlier? Yeah. So we, we talked about that earlier on, how that so many folks here have taken this class and have been impacted through that. And it's really such an impactful way because if you're going to be a learner who studies the teacher, You've got, to study, you've got to study God's Word. You've got to know it. You've got to understand that better and better. See, there's a thing now that's kind of, kind of popular, and that is to study part of Jesus and to take the parts of Jesus that I like, that are congruent with the way I want to live and act, and, and not worry so much about the rest. It's kind of how we do in education sometimes. It's uh, I remember uh, going to college and seminary and having students in our class that some of whom like their goal was like to debate with the professors all the time, right? Like that's what they did. I remember there's ones they I'll just call him Daryl, and uh, Daryl would always debate with the professor. And I remember I'd feel so ticked off in there, like Daryl. I didn't come here to hear your little arguments, right? Like, we're paying a lot of money to hear this professor, right? Not to hear you like, well, I don't know if that's actually, like, you don't know, you're not credible, right? But that's kind of how we tend to think nowadays. Like, well, I'll take these bits of Jesus, and I I don't know about these others. Like, for example, you could look at the stories of Jesus, of how when Jesus goes and he tells off the religious leaders, right? You know, he, he confronts them for their hypocrisy and other things. And you could look at the Jesus who goes into the temple, and he's angry because he sees the evil that's happening there, how they're taking advantage of people financially, and he takes and he throws over the tables, right? You can take this confrontational version of Jesus, and you can create in your own mind this, like, smackdown Jesus, right? That's my kind of Jesus right there, right? The one who tells everybody how it is, right? I want to be that kind of Jesus. Okay, but you're missing. That's not all Jesus is. He had those moments, but this is the same Jesus who cries at his friend's funeral, the same Jesus who heals people and tells them, hey, don't, don't go tell anybody, just, just go home. Be thankful for what the Lord has done for you. This same Jesus who was a suffering servant who ultimately gave his life for you and for me. So if I just get smacked down Jesus, that's not really accurate. Or we could take, you know, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That all the law and the prophets, they they hang on these two things, right? And certainly love is central to who Jesus is. And so we could take just that aspect of Jesus. And like, Jesus is just love. He loves everybody. He loves all things. He doesn't judge anything, right? He's just love, love, love. That's all that Jesus is. Problem is, though, this is the same Jesus who once heals a guy and he says, okay, go, don't sin anymore or something worse might happen to you, right? The same Jesus who tells the the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. This is a Jesus who not only loves us, he loves us with a holy love, Not a teddy bear love, a holy love. A love that calls us to be more and more holy as God is holy. So no, he doesn't accept everything that John does. He wants John to be more like him. He wants wants John to live by the power of the Spirit, to be freed from that sinful self, to be freed to live into the fullness of the Spirit in holiness. That's what Jesus wants for me and wants for you. We've got to understand all of who Jesus is. We can't just like cherry pick certain things. That's what a disciple does. A disciple is a learner. A disciple of Jesus Christ looks at him and seeks to learn everything that we can. But that's not it. That's not all. Second, a disciple is a follower who imitates the teacher. Like I said, they imitate how they wash hands or whatever, but not just Not just learning's sake, not just say, oh, this is what my teacher does, now I know, but this is how my teacher does things, I'm gonna do it this way as well. I'm gonna imitate that, like a little kid imitates a parent, right? I want to imitate that, to be an imitator of Christ, because that's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm called to do. The basic Christian confession is this Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that's a really, really important statement. Uh, You you only have one Lord, right? Like, that means the leader of your life, the one who is over all of your life. The basic Christian confession is not Jesus is smart, although he was. It's not just Jesus is nice, although he was. It's not just Jesus is kind. It's not just Jesus is a good teacher with some interesting things I can learn. It's not just... Jesus is an interesting historical figure who I should study. It's not just Jesus is a trusted advisor who helps me when I'm confused, or Jesus is a counselor who helps me when I'm hurting. Jesus is all of these things, but these are all attributes of who he is. At the end of the day, Jesus is Lord. That's who he is. You can't just pick and choose one or two or three of those things and say, yeah, I'm going to keep the rest of life. You know, like he can be Lord over like, you know, this little stuff, but I'm going to take care of the money, right? Or he can be Lord over Sunday morning, 10 a.m., right? But I'm going to have the rest of the week. No, it's that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over everything, Because I want to follow the teacher. I want to learn from him. I want to imitate him. I want to do the things I see the teacher doing. Because I realize that his way is best. That his way is the right way for my life to be. That I'm called to put my life in his hands. To be a disciple is to be in relationship with the teacher. Being a disciple of Jesus is seeking to to know him and to live as he calls us to live because we love him. It's not legalism, it's love. We, we love him, and so we want to look like he looks. Are you willing to do that? Or are you making Jesus out just to be kind of an advisor or an interesting figure in your life? As C.S. Lewis famously argued, Jesus doesn't give you that option because the fact is that Jesus came... And he claimed to be God. He said he and the Father are one. That if you've seen him, you've seen the Father, right? And so if somebody, if somebody comes and they claim to be God, they either are or they're not, right? They're, they're either, either they're God or they're lying. Or they're either God or they're crazy. Or else they actually are God. There, there's just no other option. You can't claim to be God, not be God, and still be a credible teacher. No, it, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Is Jesus the Lord in your life? That's the basics of what it means to be a disciple, plain and simple. It's it's not easily done, but it's not done in our own strength. It's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when I look at what it takes to be a disciple, I realize that I, on my own effort, could never do this. Could never accomplish it. It's not just like me being a little better than I am today. No, to make Jesus my Lord, I'm going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to fill me, to change me. Just like it did with Peter and the disciples on Pentecost. Like Eric said, we don't, we don't want to be a, a pre-Pentecost people who are living without the power, who are living and just trying, trying and failing, trying and failing, trying and failing. No, we want to be a Pentecost people who's living by the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And when we do that, we become disciples, and we can make disciples. This series is called Multiply, because we are called to do just that, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples. Okay? That's what we do. And, and we started with the basics of what it means to be a disciple because that's where we begin. But, you know, it, in order to make disciples, we have to have the courage to, to step forward and to share with others, to be kind, to be loving, but also to speak truth, to invite all these kinds of things that Jesus uses to help make disciples. I want to sh- share with you a video today of uh, Marge Putman, uh, Pastor Mark's wife, and Sarah's mom. And, uh, and she is going to share about how she was discipled, how uh, at a challenging point in her life, somebody reached out to her and, and shared Jesus with her. Let's check this out.
2: I wasn't raised in the church. Uh, my parents didn't take us to church except for Easter. Um, And so growing up, um, I didn't know a lot about God, I didn't know anything about Jesus, but after I got married and had my daughter Allison, she had some very major medical issues that landed her in the hospital when she was three weeks old and I really felt lost. Um, She was in surgery and I didn't know what to do. I saw a picture in the hallway of an operating room with the hand of God reaching down into the operating room. And it just caught my attention. And uh, after Allison healed and was home, I actually was very angry that God would do something like this to my baby. And so I started on a journey to find out who this God was and why he would do that. And I had a very good friend at work who I had shared that with and she encouraged me To find a church home where I could learn more about God, learn more about Jesus, and really uh, understand why things happen as they do in the world. And so Mark and I found a church near us, and we joined the church and started a disciple Bible study. And through that study, over the course of nine months, I learned who this God was and how much God loved me. And I would each week meet with my friend and share what I was learning in Disciple, and she would just be thrilled for me. Um, She would ask me questions, she would give me other scriptures to look up that supported what I was learning in Disciple, and she just really um, surrounded me and encouraged me to continue um, the discipline of study and prayer and um, being in God's Word. And As I grew in my faith, I would pray and i would serve and i would talk to others about my story because my story is unique to me so looking back all these years later i'm just so thankful that she reached out to me and um, saw my need and just came alongside me and encouraged me i just can never repay her for that initial step of being bold enough to reach out to me and say hey i see you're struggling let me let me pray for you. That was the first thing she prayed for me, and then it grew from there. When we became fast friends, we're still friends today. We've seen each other's kids grow up and grandkids, and it's just been uh, a privilege to uh, walk through life with this dear friend. Couple things
1: there. First, Marge references disciple Bible study once again, and maybe you've been here listening and hearing me talk about Jesus and all of Jesus, and you're like, I don't know what that means. Well, Disciple Bible Study is an awesome place to start. Uh, Disciple buddy Bible Study takes you through uh, the Word of God, and, and you do so in community. I, I heard just a few quotes from people at Anderson Hills who, who took Disciple. I wanted to share a few of them with you. One person said, I love to be able to read each week and then be able to discuss it with friends in a safe setting because the Bible can be hard to read. It's very true. Another said, I loved growing closer to God's word while growing closer with other believers. It's led me to understanding God's word and his love for me in a way that I haven't experienced before. Amen. Another person said, one thing I loved about Disciple Bible Study was the family that it created in my life. These friends have prayed for me seen me when I'm struggling, and loved me beyond words. I have gained lifelong friends that encourage me in my walk with Christ and that I know I can go to when I need prayer, encouragement, or I just want a fellowship with friends. I invite you, if you haven't taken Disciple, it's an awesome class, and it is a life-changing class, and one of the ways that God helps us to be his disciples is to study the word. Another thing about Marge's video that struck me as I was watching it is What would have happened if that person would have stayed silent? If Marge's friend would have said, "Oh, yeah, I I feel that nudge from the spirit to say something, but I don't." What if I offended her? Or what if what if she's not into church or that kind of stuff? Or what? I I don't know. I don't want to do that. What a difference! What a difference that one person has made. I mean, that that one person would be influential in Mark becoming a pastor, Sarah becoming a missionary in our church here today. One person's act of faithfulness. And in these very moments, Marge is in the annex, mentoring, discipling my teenagers. I give thanks to God for that person who had the courage to do that. You never know you never know what God is going to do. When God gives you that little nudge that challenges you to speak to somebody, to to be generous with someone, to love on somebody, you never know what Jesus may do. And sometimes we don't even get to see the full effects. Sometimes it's just one step of faithfulness along the way that God uses to continue nudging a person in a certain way. But whatever it is, I encourage you, if if God leads you, God nudges you, because he will, when God nudges you, would you have the courage to say yes? You never know. God may be using you to make disciples of others. So as we've kind of kicked off this series this week, I want to challenge you to do something specific, and that is maybe to find a couple people in your life, um, people whose faith journey that you respect, and to, to ask them just to talk with you about it. How have they grown in their faith? What has God used in their life? Because maybe there's something that, that God wants to use in your life as well. And I also want to challenge you to be praying for opportunities where God might nudge you to share with somebody else. And I know that can be scary, but just remember Peter. Remember that faith. Remember that act of faithfulness from a man who had failed countless times before and how God used it. God's still using people like you and me. So God, we just give you thanks and praise. We give you thanks and praise that you are real, that you are alive, that you are moving in and through us. God, I just praise you that that Pentecost is not just a story about something that happened a long time ago. Pentecost is a reality today, a reality that we can experience as followers of Jesus. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would fill us, that you would change us, that you would anoint us with your power would you fill us God and I pray that as we meet at this table that Jesus as we we dine with you Lord that you would draw us close to yourself I pray for those who need healing in their relationship with you maybe it's distant right now We just feel far off. God, I pray that you would just draw us in close. Closer to your heart. Closer to your call. Closer to your word. Closer to your truth. Whatever it is, God. Draw us in. Would you meet us in a supernatural way in this meal? As we remember you. And as we give thanks. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.